happy Memorial Day, everybody. Yes. Hope you're all enjoying the day off, celebrating, remembering those who have served our country. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe having a cookout. Yes, it would be pretty hard to sit here on Memorial Day and not talk about something that you can toss on the grill. Mm-hmm. So, in this week's Memorial Day mini-sode, we're going to be taking a quick look at the history of the hamburger. Ooh. Yes. I love that. Yes, yes, yes. Hamburger is, without a doubt, one of the world's most popular foods. Um, in fact, nearly 50 billion hamburgers are served annually in the United States alone. I was going to say, I associate them more with the United States, so I'm like interested that it is a global sensation. Uh, McDonald's is everywhere. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's absolutely a global sensation. It didn't even start here in the States. Well, the way we consume it, it started here in the States. So although the, the, the beef patty on bun scenario is technically not much more than a hundred years old, it's really part of a much bigger, broader lineage that links American businessmen, uh, World War II soldiers, German political refugees, medieval traders, and all the way back to Neolithic farmers, actually, oh. in the story of the hamburger. Oh, wow. Actually, the groundwork for ground beef, which the groundwork for ground beef, yeah, I said that <laughs> right. The groundwork for ground beef uh, was laid with the domestication of cattle about 10,000 years ago in Mesopotamia. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's when cattle is domesticated, and I will jump thousands of years in the future, so don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> An ancient collection of recipes uh, accredits the first minced meat preparation to about the 4th century. So we're looking at, what is that, 300 AD? So 1,700 years of ground beef. Um, Other historians think it was the Mongols that actually spread the tradition around Hmm. in their conquests. Uh, In the 13th century, when supposedly, as the story goes, Mongol warriors would stash raw meat under their saddles to soften it and to oh. cook it from the heat of the back oh. of the horse. Yeah. Um, gross, but hopefully it's just a story. Uh, so it spread throughout the, the Mongolian Empire and across Europe, um, with oh. Moscow actually adopting a raw version that we now know today as steak tartare. Oh, nice. And that was by the end of the 13th century that steak tartare started being enjoyed in Russia. Wow. Yeah. I do and like a good steak tartare. I love a good steak tartare. It scares a lot of people, and I, I know. understand if why. If I think about it too much, it does kind of, like, freak me out, but it's so good. It's so good. A nice, cold steak tartare. And that's the other thing. Like, a really It's not another, gross out our vegetarian Another thing friends. is scary. They may yeah, not be listening people. to this episode. Like, another thing that's really off-putting for a lot of people about a good, true steak tartare is that it comes with a raw egg on top of it, too, that you then mix into the whole thing. Yeah. Never slowed me down. Um, <laughs> Russians brought the steak tartare recipe to the Germans in the 17th century by um, way of Hamburg, which was, you know, an ocean port city, which you've been to, I believe. Mm-hmm. I have. Um, so Hamburg came up as an independent trading city in the 12th century. And over the hundreds of years that followed, uh, beef delicacies became very popular in Hamburg, Germany. So by 1747... The Hamburg sausage appeared for the first time in a cookbook, which yeah. I couldn't find out what that was exactly. I'm guessing they, it was must have been like a ground beef sausage in of some a casing. kind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it showed up in the cookbook, "The Art of Cookery Made Plain and Easy." Uh, and in the early 1800s, the Hamburg steak was included in the Oxford English Dictionary for the first time. Yeah, yeah. So that's just a ground beef steak. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. So jumping ahead to 1848 is when um, a lot of political revolutions started shaking up the 39 states of the German Confederation. Uh, And this spurred a pretty big increase of German immigration to the United States in the Mm -hmm. mid-1800s. So, of course, with the German people came German food. Uh, Beer gardens started popping up and doing really, really well in American cities. Uh, Butchers started offering up a whole slew of different traditional German meat preparations Mm -hmm. that Americans had never seen before. So because Hamburg, Germany was known as an exporter of really high-quality beef, restaurants began offering a quote-unquote Hamburg-style chopped steak. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, in the mid-19th century in America, preparations of raw beef that had been chopped, chipped, ground, or a term I'd never seen before, scraped, Hmm. uh, scraped beef, were a common prescription for digestive issues. Oh, interesting. Yes. Chew your food better. <laughs> I still think it's. I think it's really funny that beef was prescribed for digestion right. problems, digestive problems. When it causes a lot more than it solves. So, um, and this actually started happening after a New York doctor named James H. Salisbury suggested in 1867 that cooked beef patties might be just as healthy as the raw ones. Go figure. <laughs> Uh, so cooks and physicians alike really quickly adopted the Salisbury, Salisbury steak. steak. Hmm. That's where that comes from. Did not know that. I did not know that either until I started doing this research. And Laura heard me have an aha moment on the oh, couch when researching that too. That was it. That was the one. Uh, around that same time, the first popular meat grinders for home use became widely available. Actually, Salisbury endorsed one himself called the American Chopper. (laughs) That sounds super American. It is super American. Uh, And that really set the stage for an explosion of readily available ground beef around the country. So it's interesting that people would get the meat grinder for their house, buy the steak, and then grind it, right? Yeah. So that is not something we typically think of doing nowadays. No, actually, we don't. I remember growing up with a. I grew up with a meat grinder. It was like a hand crank meat yeah. grinder. I know there's a um, KitchenAid attachment for yeah. a meat grinder. It was definitely something that was in vogue for a right. while um, yeah. in homes. Because the one we had was definitely very old, like yeah. clamped to your counter, like pewter almost model of a hand grinder. Yeah. I mean, I guess like the the less processing that happens to your food outside of your home at least you can like control it so that's true you're doing it yourself that's true take those extra steps yeah the hamburger um it kind of seems to have made its jump from plate to bun so from like salisbury steak to sandwich yeah uh in the last decades of the 19th century so the late 1800s okay um and of course like anything else the sight of this actually happening is highly contested. Right, of course. So lunch wagons, um, food stands, roadside restaurants in places like Wisconsin, Connecticut, Ohio, New York, and even Texas have all been kind of put forward as the possible birthplace of the actual hamburger. Mm. Whatever the genesis, wherever it came from, the burger on a bun really found its first wide audience at the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, which was a huge deal for more than just the hamburger because 
we've talked about this before. It introduced millions of Americans to new foods like the waffle ice cream cone. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, was that the same year as ice cream? Yeah, cotton candy, peanut butter, and iced tea were all introduced at the 1904 World's Fair. Ooh, iced tea sounds really good right now. I know, it's hot. It's so hot. (laughs) So yeah, really, really famous for foods that are all still eaten today. That's so cool. 1904. Big year. Big year. Big year. Uh, Actually, uh, Louis' Lunch which is a restaurant in New Haven, Connecticut, are the ones who were featured at the World's Fair with the hamburgers. Mm. So they Served on bun. Served on bun. Served on bread. Um, they, of course, are the ones who lay claim, one of the people who lay claim to the first hamburger sandwich. Right. Uh, actually, the restaurant, Louis' Lunch, opened in New Haven, Connecticut, which, again, New Haven keeps coming up a lot for pizza. It came up last week with bagels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here we go again with hamburgers as yeah. well. Little known fact, New Haven. A little bit of a food mecca in the yeah. northeast quadrant of the country. Um, so they opened in 1895, and it is still open to this day. That's cool. Yeah. In fact, they still use the original gas cookers that were created to make these burgers. And they're really cool looking. You should Google these. Louis Lunch, New Haven, Connecticut, hamburger um, ovens. They look like little cast iron lanterns almost. And they have doors that open and close. And the burgers actually go in vertically. There's four burgers that go in a grill basket. And then you turn the grill basket sideways and you put it in this gas cooker. And the doors close. And the burgers cook on all sides at the same time. Oh, wow. That's cool. It's I really just Googled impressive. It. It's, it looks really cute. And they're still um, they're still using those original gas cookers to this day. It's like 120 wow. years later or something crazy like that. They're still using that's those. That's cool. Two years after the World's Fair, disaster struck in the form of Upton Sinclair's novel, The Jungle. Oh. And that detailed the unsavory side of the American meatpacking industry at the time. Uh, yeah. And industrial ground beef was easy to adulterate with fillers, preservatives, scraps, and the hamburger really became cast aside. It was like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. It's like every time there's an E. coli outbreak, people just like, oop, I'm yep. done. I'm done with yep. beef for yeah. like two weeks. Um, but the hamburger, you know, it got kind of shunned, cast aside, put into the, the seedier category mm-hmm. of meats, if you will. Um, but it would have stayed there a lot longer if it weren't for Billy Ingram and Walter Anderson, who opened their very first white castle restaurant oh. in kansas in 1921 oh. yes white castle was the first fast food burger chain wow that's yes. cool i didn't know it started in kansas either actually. i didn't either um and the thing about white castle that made it really appealing that it was basically gleaning white porcelain stainless steel like whitewashed brick on the, oh, it was like super clean looking yes mm. so white castle countered the hamburger's reputation by becoming basically like the antithesis of exactly. a dirty like, um, meatpacking. This cleanliness yeah. capital, if you will. Yeah. So health and hygiene were a huge part of the operation. And Ingram even commissioned a medical school study to show the health benefits of hamburgers. Oh, how did that go? I'm assuming he paid them well enough that it went well. Because <laughs> yeah. um, if they did enough digging, yeah. they might not have found uh, the best yeah. But this was in the early 1920s. Right, too. so they probably were like, yeah, this is great for you. This is really good for you. Um, his system, which included on-premise meat grinding, worked really, really well and was the inspiration for other national hamburger chains that founded um, themselves in the boom years after World War II. So McDonald's, In-N-Out Burger, Burger King, and even Wendy's mm. were basically all modeled off the White Castle model. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. I don't think I've actually ever 
been to a White Castle before. I have, and it was glorious. <laughs> it is so oh, there. It's so good yeah. and so bad at the same time. Right? Yeah. Like any fast hey, food. Yeah, it's right? fast food burgers. But they're sliders. They're small. They're fun. Oh yeah. That's they have cute. they have onions in them. Oh, it's so great. In the meat or like on. They top? cook them on top of onions. Oh. Yeah. So that cool. then they they flip them. And then they put the cheese on top of the onions, I believe. Hmm. Yeah. That's good. They're delicious. They are fantastic. Uh, but cheese didn't appear on a burger until 1928. It was the first burger, quote unquote, burger with cheese. It appeared on a menu at Odell's Diner in Los Angeles. But then in 1935, the word cheeseburger was first coined by Denver's Humpty Dumpty Drive-In. Hmm. So the word cheeseburger didn't even exist until 1935. Wow. So just five years after that, the iconic McDonald's barbecue, the original McDonald's, opened in San Bernardino, California. By 1948, brothers Richard and Maurice McDonald had completely turned the focus onto their 15-cent hamburger. Mm. So they used to do a lot more. Right. But basically, they shifted the whole business just oh, yeah, to be just like 15-cent hamburgers, fries, and shakes. That same year, 1948, In-N-Out launched their first drive through burger spot. In Baldwin Park, mm. California, which that became a huge thing, too. Right. That did be. That was, I mean, that's still a huge thing right now. Yeah. So led by the McDonald's model at this point, American-style franchised fast food spread globally. Everywhere, everywhere. Uh, even restaurant chefs were following suit. In the 1950s, the first gourmet burger was featured at New York's 21 Club, mm. which now gourmet burgers are everywhere. Yeah. Uh, McDonald's released its famous Big Mac in 1968, expanding their offerings. Wendy's debuted the, of course, now memorable commercial featuring the slogan, Where's the Beef? in the uh, 80s. Yeah. And by the 2000s, America had fully become a burger-obsessed nation. Yeah. And to this day, actually, the last couple of years, I can't remember the study was from 2019 or 2018, burgers make up 72% of all beef served in commercial restaurants in America. Whoa. Yeah. Because that includes fast food, too. Right, right. Actually, 60% of all burgers purchased uh, in the States are purchased in restaurants. So, over half. Oh, that's surprising, actually. But 65% of burgers are consumed off-premise versus 35 on-premise in the restaurants. Oh. Which means takeout. Takeout, yeah. Yep, takeout, takeaway, delivery, Whatever you want. So yeah, the, the, a huge percentage of that is fast food hamburgers. Right. Yeah. For sure. So funny. Off-premise is probably for most people in the car, in the parking lot of a fast right, food restaurant. Right, yeah. Barely off-premise, but Eating still. it so fast so that no one knows you ate fast food. Not in the, the restaurant. Yeah. yeah. So that is the the short history of the hamburger yeah. in America. That is really interesting. Well, yeah. I never knew that White Castle played such a critical role. Yeah, I didn't either. It, it really kind of brought the popularity of the burger back from yeah. the brink, really. Yeah. Definitely. Very cool. So only had a couple of, uh, only had two resources for this. Um, History.com and an article called A Brief History of the Hamburger by Alexia Wolf in the, at theculturetrip.com, which is a lovely travel blog site. Nice. So yeah, that is, that is it. That is cool. it. Now I'm, I'm going to go out and fire up the grill and get some burgers going for Memorial Day, because now I am inspired. Heck yeah. 
yes, yes, yes. Sounds uh, good. Have a wonderful rest of your Memorial Day, everyone. Thanks for spending just a few minutes with us on this day. Uh, but we'll be back next week with another full episode of the podcast. In the meantime, stay healthy and be well. And we'll see you soon.